Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite Georgetown Hoyas basketball podcast. I'm here again. Well, I'm Bobby Bancroft, and I'm here again with Howie Wachtel, John Hawks. We have New York and Florida Hoya. What's up, guys? Hi, Bobby. Hey, Bobby. Okay, guys. So we were obviously off last week, and um, just wanted to give everyone an update on Georgetown's situation. So this has been obviously a really intense, crazy time for our country. Um, a lot of movements going on, and Georgetown is always part of social awareness, and they're always out there on these types of issues. Patrick Ewing tweeted on Thursday, I proudly stand with my fellow Georgetown basketball alumni to put an end to racial injustice. Enough is enough. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Hashtag We Are Georgetown. And I encourage all of our listeners to go to his tweet. Um, What he did was he took, it's a statement from Georgetown University Hoya men's basketball alumni in response to the murder of George Floyd that has sparked so much activism and protests that's been going on and still going on. And, you know, it's, I'm not sure that I'm qualified to speak on it, but I want to make sure everyone gets a chance to check out what Patrick Ewing said. And in Patrick Ewing, obviously he's doing better. He's home from the hospital. You know, there is a pandemic still going on and he, he had COVID-19 and he is recovering. So, so guys, I just thought we should, we should talk about that for a second. If you guys have anything to add, um, this this would be the time. <laughs> yeah, so um, the, the statement from the players, from what I gather, it was about 60 or so alumni from a good, like, 40 or 50 years stretch. Of, yeah, it was from of, um, 1967 to 2020, which would be Jake and Mosley and George Mirasan. Yeah, and so, and I get the impression that this is, the statement is only the first step, that we're expecting to see more out of both the basketball alumni and some of the current players going into next season on the issue of police brutality, on the issue of various social justice issues too. So yeah. um, the, 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 you know, a few things here, the, the closeness of, of Georgetown's alumni community and the family, and that word gets thrown a lot, thrown around a lot with this program in kind of a tropey way. Um, but sometimes, you know, serious actual real world issues like this, really bring it to bear that that's not just a, a trophy thing. That is something real about this program. Um, and I know there have been folks online who have been you know, writing about sort of Georgetown's history with social justice movements and, and John Thompson Jr. and things like that. But um, it's a reminder that um, the program that Georgetown has really is much bigger than just what goes on on the basketball court. You know, we're going to talk about sadness games in like 20 minutes or so, right? We're like the fun distraction. This whole podcast started, I think, is a fun distraction at the start of the, the COVID quarantine. Um, but there are times in life where there are things you should not be distracted from. And we've taken a few weeks off um, to sort of to let ourselves listen for, for a while to more important things that are going on in life. So, you know, we're back now, but, but for our listeners, please don't lose sight of the larger, more important issues going on right now, because I know the program hasn't lost sight of those and they won't lose sight of those. And I think that's something that we can all be proud of. Yeah, and I would just touch on that, the, the point you made on kind of the the fraternity of players and coaches and members of our administration. I mean, it really is impressive when you think about kind of the last 
really 40, 50 years of the program. And, you know, thinking back to 2015, where uh, Georgetown was the first college in the country to break out the I Can't Breathe t-shirts. Uh, I think it was in the game just before Kansas. And in reading articles, um, uh, taking a look at the articles right after that game, JT3 made a point of saying it wasn't even his idea. It was the players who approached him and said, we think it's important to wear these shirts and we're going to do it. Um, so I think you're absolutely right. The words like fraternity and brotherhood get thrown around out there a lot with respect to other teams and programs, but with ours, it really is genuine. It's impressive to see. Yeah. Um, that reminds me when the, I can't breathe t-shirts came out. Um, this was before the Thompson center and the media availabilities in between the week would be in the lobby of McDonough. And just to try and describe the scene, you've got like cross country um, athletes stretching and, and then you'll have some TV cameras and reporters talking to JT three and selected players. And I remember for this one, I forget what happened, but it was only a couple of us and I didn't go to school at Georgetown. I know you guys did. Okay. Um, I went to James Madison but it was just Nobody's me. Perfect. What? Yeah. <laughs> um, lifelong follower, but I did not go to Georgetown. Um, it was just me and two of the students. And I think one of the students was Laura Wagner, who has been, I think she's been at Deadspin and Vice, and I'm probably going to miss, miss uh, speak, but she's become a pretty prominent journalist. Anyway, it was, it was, it was me, her, and maybe it might've been Joe from, from the voice, but anyway, it just seemed it was less a, I, I, I felt like I was in school at Georgetown at, at that time because it just seemed like, you know, like, wow, JT three, like he's a coach, but he's being like an educator right now. Like we didn't really talk about basketball. We just kind of talked about, you know, how it happened, you know, how he, he didn't just let the players do it without thinking about it. Like, it's like, why do you want to do this? You know, what, how, how is this, you know, what, what does this mean to you? And it was just different than being like, oh, you know, what's, uh, what are you going to do against a two, three zone? You know, it was talking about real life stuff and it was like, wow, like that's sort of like being on, being in college. So I'll just, yeah. that, that's my own little experience. And, and what's really telling also is if, if you've had a chance to go to the national museum of African-American history, um, they have this, beautiful display just entirely on sports and as you would expect there's uh, there's a big picture of john thompson jr i can't remember if it's the one where he's got his arm around patrick ewing or sleepy floyd it's it's i i think it's one of those two but then there's a huge photo of that 2015 team wearing the i can't breathe t-shirt yeah so of all the teams you know the 2015-16 season at least on the basketball court um, performance-wise, wasn't one of our finest, but all of the folks on that team, their presence doing that gets to be memorialized in such a special way. I, I think it was the 14-15 team. It was, uh, I believe. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure Josh Smith was... The only reason I remember is because Josh Smith was... I remember him speaking about it. Yeah. Okay, oh, so maybe that's right. Okay. I mean, I was just trying to... just. I think your point's taken. I just wanted to, to throw that in. Um, a better season. Yes, a, a better season, a four seed. Anyway, okay. So we've got some brackets like like normal. Um, before we touched on though, before we touch on those, I wanted to bring up the fact that Georgetown apparently was going to be playing Notre Dame 
and I didn't know about it. I don't know if you guys knew about it. Um, Tom Noy, who covers Notre Dame for the South Bend Tribune and the Insider, he tweeted out, I think it's been a couple weeks now since we weren't here, but he tweeted out that Georgetown backed out of it. And it was in the news because Notre Dame, that was going to be Notre Dame's premier opponent next season or in a series. And they ended up getting Kentucky, which is a pretty good get. Okay. So I was interested in that because I hadn't heard about that. And that really piqued my interest because that seems like it would be a great series. And it makes sense. If you look at what Georgetown has in December, there's probably two reasons they backed out and you guys can agree or disagree. One, once they lost, you know, basically five of their top seven players for next season in a two week span, you might want to, you know, and, and you know, you have the commitments that are already on the schedule in the form of Syracuse and the big 10 and the big 12 um, and that the wooden classic, that could be a reason you back out. The other reason could be is that the big East is going to have everybody play two conference games in December. And if Notre Dame wanted to play in December, all of a sudden you start to run out of dates. So are you guys as bummed out as I am in that the series isn't happening? Um, I, I guess it's a matchup that – so I, I was aware, I, I, it's probably going back six, seven months, that, or even more than that maybe, that this series was on the books. Oh, um, wow. i got I to talk to you more often. <laughs> it's been in the works for a while, I think. Um, yeah. it, it makes sense. It, the, the schools certainly have a lot in common. Um, there's an affinity probably between the fan bases. It makes sense on paper. Um, I was going through my numbers. Um, if you go back to like the old biggies, um, the pre 2013 version, and you look at in the JT3 era, like what we averaged at home for attendance against opponents, Notre Dame's up there, I think about fifth, um, only behind like Syracuse, UConn, like the good versions of Pitt. Um, so it's a team that draws. I think it would probably do well in South Bend as well. Um, I, I really don't think uh, us pulling out has anything to do with worries about the quality of the team or the roster. I think it's almost certainly more to do with just schedule crowding. Yeah. Um, you mentioned all the non-con games that they've got um, on deck this year. They ended up in both the Big 12 tournament thing and the the, uh, the Gavit games, plus the multi-team event out in California, um, plus the conference doing you know two games in December. There's just probably not a lot of open weekends you can do it. Um, I'd also the- add... There's uh, not, but I would say when you look at an 11 team Big East, I would think that you're you're going to want, you know, I feel like Georgetown, the only time they played uh, non-conference opponents recently in conference play is the Duke games, right? I can't think of anybody else. Yeah, there was a series against UConn. Oh, yes, which seems like it's a conference game. Yeah. So, um, sure. I guess I, 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 was, I was just thinking that, it would, ideally, you would have all of your teams play a non-conference team in January, February, because otherwise you're always going to have somebody with a bye week during that time because you have 11 teams. I suppose that's something logistically they'll have to look at. I'm sure that's going to be the least of the scheduling challenges going into the, <laughs> the fall and spring semesters here. Um, I'd also, I mean, also, Notre Dame is playing in a 20-game game scheduled conference as well. And I don't know any more the frequency with which ACC teams play non-con games in January and February. I'd have to imagine that's declined a lot. I Usually it's just Duke ACC... and St. John's. Right. That's, that's, that's taken us back a little bit. Um, right. 
I don't know if the ACC is still going with their kicking off the season with conference teams. I seem to remember hearing they weren't, but I, logistically, I don't think you can do 20 games without playing some in December. So my guess is it's just there aren't any available weekends. So I was talking to Howie before you jumped on, and I was saying if I had to rank teams that they don't play anymore from the old Big East, which I'm not including Syracuse because they've done a good job of playing them, I would go Notre Dame 1 and then Louisville 2. Do you have a problem with that list, either of you guys? What did you yeah, say, Howie? So I, I would. So I would say, assuming we're playing Syracuse, I think Syracuse has always won. Um, yeah. But if if we're saying Syracuse is already in the list, yeah, I would have Notre Dame at the top of my list, uh, kind of hands down. Um, I, I think if if you went to school, uh in that period somewhere between 1998 and 2008, there's a good chance you, you hate, you hate, you certainly hate Syracuse, but you probably hate Notre Dame, maybe even a bit more Notre Dame. um, There was a good five year stretch where they were probably our biggest rival. And we had a ton of overtime games. Uh, We never really seemed to fall in love with Mike Bray or his lack (laughs) of a shirt and tie. And I mean, I would I would love to see Notre Dame back on the schedule, but I think as we something I I flagged earlier, I think there's I mean you made a good point where scheduling purposes might have factored in. I think there's really only two reasons why I'm I'm okay with this. One, there's a very good chance next year that we would get beaten up uh, and, and and lose to them, and and two. Um, uh, I'm I'm fine the way things ended. <laughs> We've talked about that game before, but winning at Purcell I, I, Pavilion, I think it was uh, in, yeah, so, in pretty convincing fashion in 2013, was great. I acknowledge I have not been keeping detailed track of the plight of of the fighting Mike Brays recently, but are we talking about the same Notre Dame team? I, I did not have the impression that Notre Dame was the kind of team that was going to be doing a lot of ass kicking. Lately. I, th- I think I think he leaned sure more. In, I think how he means more in the terms of just the schedule is pretty good right now. Like why add more? Why add more to it in December? Likely. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah. I, I, again, I don't think it's the quality of the opponent. I just think it's we're just out of dates. Yeah. Um. Real quick. So I reached out to Tom. I asked him what he thought about going forward. So they um, Notre Dame has Kentucky for three years which took the spot of, of Georgetown. Um, they have that crossroads classic where I think Butler and um, Purdue are involved and someone else. Mm-hmm. They have ACC Big Ten Challenge. Um, Notre Dame is starting up a series with Marquette in 22-23. And UCLA is always sort of on the peripheral of wanting to play. Mm-hmm. The plan this year for Mike Bray, which was going to be pretty cool, and they've actually delayed the game. They're going to... Notre Dame's plan was to play at Howard on like a Wednesday or a Thursday because one of one of uh, Notre Dame's old coaches is the head coach there and to stay in town and then play Georgetown Saturday or Sunday. That was the original plan. And because of COVID and everything, Notre Dame is pushing back the Howard game because if they do come to Howard, they want actually fans to be able to enjoy it. So that was kind of what was that was kind of what was uh, brewing in South Bend. And my guess is, even though 
I was a little apprehensive when you said Notre Dame was scheduling Marquette because that might scratch their, you know, former Big East opponent itch. Mike Bray's got pretty strong ties to the D.C. area, so I'm oh, yeah. sure that there's a motivation, even beyond the connection to Howard. There's a motivation. He'll find a way at that. Um, should we go to the madness in uh, based based on our I, our newfound time constraints? Before we do even time constraints, since Howie mentioned overtime, did you, did you notice that randomly in the middle of last week, uh, ESPNU showed the 2002 four overtime game? I noticed oh, it yeah. because people were tweeting it. It was right like the late afternoon. I think we were making dinner at the time. So I, was, and I happened to catch it like midway through the first overtime and I got mad again 18 years later. So fun way to spend like a Thursday. Yeah. It, okay. It, I will say that if our sadness bracket had extended to previous years, uh, I distinctly remember sitting in the front row behind <laughs> the bat. And that might have been one of the worst days of my life. I think if we did this for Eshrick era games, there's no way that this game isn't like the Davidson game with that bracket. <laughs> I mean, it was so. But you not, know what? Not to drive down memory memory lane, but that was, it was also an extremely meaningful loss for that point in the season too. We yeah. were, we were yeah, a very yeah. much a bubble team. Yes. And just watching the overtimes, like it, it's. It's mind-boggling that, like, every time Mike Sweeney got a post-touch, he either scored, got fouled, or got, like, tripled. Yet, somehow, that worked every possession except the last one of every overtime. Brilliant. Brilliant. But, but you know what? And, that, but, and that, that's, that's why this is a good series, okay? It was pretty even. You know, both teams had the advantage at home, although the road team got W's. Okay, you know, if you're Georgetown, you got the two, you got two W's in the Big East tournament. Um, and for me, as a kid, personally, one of the first tournaments I watched, Georgetown beat Notre Dame. You know, so I don't know. It's just, it's, it's definitely a series I would like to have happen. But I understand you cannot play everybody, and as long as Syracuse is on the schedule, and now that UConn is back, you can't be too picky. But I would have liked to have I seen think- it. I think that's true if uh, if the rest of our schedule shakes out and we don't have too many cupcakes and clunkers on the schedule. You know, yeah. if we have a similarly competitive get you know slate of teams like we did this year, I think that's great. But if we have too many teams that are ranked in the 300s and we we got rid of this game and scheduled a 300 something cupcake, then I think that's problematic, and it means we haven't kind of learned lessons. Um, that said, and this is probably for another podcast, but I would say of the of the top individual Georgetown player performances of the last 20 years. One of them is definitely Otto Porter at the carrier dome. Uh, another one is Michael Sweetney in that four overtime game, putting up ridiculous oh, yeah. numbers. Oh yeah. Let's keep those ideas for podcasts going because we're going to hit some lean um, months here. All right. Okay. So Move. actually, you know what? Let's start with a sadness game since we have two of those and only one madness. Okay. Let's start. Let's start two seven. Um, the two seed is Georgetown falling to NC State in the 2012 second round of the tournament. Um, Georgetown was three seed. The Wolfpack were the 11 seed. Hollis Thompson in his last game put up 23. Henry Sims was in foul trouble. That was it for Jason Clark. And I remember post game talking to Hollis in the locker room because they have to open the locker rooms for the tournament games. And, you know, I kind of asked some questions leading, like, you know, what's it going to be like next year without 
without Hollis or no, without Hollis, without uh, Henry and Jason, you're going to be the guy. And, you know, he was saying all the right things, but you're like, I know this guy's leaving. Um, and the seventh seed <laughs> is is um, Georgetown losing to Syracuse, 78-73. This was the Brandon Bowman big toe. If he makes that, Georgetown wins in regulation. Instead, they lose in overtime. Well, guys, yeah. what do you think? I, I think this is it, – it's, it's, it's very clear to me, at least, that the NC State loss was worse than losing that. I mean, it was much more – painful to lose for us to lose that game than it was losing that game to Syracuse. Uh, I, I think that's, that's clear on its face. Um, and I, I think these were, these are sort of appropriately seated. Just a, a few little bits from that NC state loss. I, I mean, first of all, that team was so likable, so likable. Uh, you know, it was Henry Sims in his breakout senior year that no one really expected. Hollis had his best year at Georgetown. Jason Clark is a senior, just getting so emotional at the end. I don't think we expected that that team would be as good as it turned out. For them to be a three seed in the tournament was pretty remarkable. Um, it was just a really fun year to root for the team, and so it was really sad when when we couldn't go to the Sweet 16 in a year that we really deserved to. And I feel bad for those for those kids. The, uh, another two two things I remember from this game, you know, we had we had fallen behind by you know, six, eight points. We were consistently losing this game in the middle of the game. And I kept thinking like at some point Hollis Thompson is going to wake up. And there was a moment early in the second half where he hit two consecutive threes and you're like, here it comes, here it comes. And it got really excited down the stretch. So I, I remember that vividly from my, my seat in Barrow street ale house in the West village. Um, <laughs> and the, the, the other thing is if you remember at the very end of the game, when we had a chance to tie it or take the lead, it was it was Otto who ended up in the, with the last shot, a little baby jumper. Um, uh, it was, I mean, it probably turned out to be like a like a five footer or six footer or something. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a bad look. And in in retrospect, you're it like, kind of was. I mean, it was what? It kind of was. I, but I, I, I just remember thinking, yeah, go, go like I, I was just gonna say, just to finish the thought, I, I, I remember thinking to myself at the time, you know, it's just it's too bad Henry didn't get a touch in the paint. Like I think I think everyone generally thought it would go to Henry in the paint, you know, or maybe Jason Clark or Hall could end up with a with a shot, and it ended up in Otto's hands, and you know, and he missed like, he missed what was probably a, a makeable shot. Um, but in hindsight, I just think it's so odd. That was Otto's freshman year. I remember being yeah. disappointed that the ball didn't go to Henry or Hollis. And then after the sophomore year he had, of course, that sounds ridiculous to think that. Yeah. This was uh, – I went back to – it's fun, like a recurring theme in, in going through these brackets is all the sadness games are really YouTubeable. Like the full games are out there. And all the madness games, I get like a minute worth of highlights. So the lesson here is the Georgetown fans, if you've got the games on DVD – Let's go commit some copyright violations. Get them online. Come on. Um, I, I went back and watched the end of this game because I was at the I was at Nationwide Arena. I was in Columbus for this game. I was in the first row of the upper deck in the corner that Otto shot from on the final possession. I went back to see if I remember the, the play accurately. So what happened on the play was Henry Sims did get a post touch. He actually drew a double and he kicked it out to Otto. And what I remembered, and it was 
pretty close how I remembered it. Otto got the ball at the three-point line. His defender had helped down, and he had an open enough look. And I think sophomore year, like March 2013, Otto Porter probably takes that shot, has the confidence, and makes it. Um, freshman Otto Porter, he, he pump faked it, he drove, and he kind of he double clutched his way into a contested, like how he said, five out of five, six footer that wasn't probably ever going to go in. Um, it, this, everything how he said is true. This team was so incredibly likable from the moment they stepped out on the court at the Kenner League. That was when Kenner still let like five freshmen play on the same team. So that was basically what happened that summer. Um, and they had a, the two, I will stand for the 2011 Kenner League. That was an amazing set of games. And you should never say that about the Kenner League, but it's true. Um, this is the team that fought the Bayi Rockets, right? I still have that newspaper at my office. Um, it, it, it's such a likable team. I was there. I, I, yeah. See, I got to be in Columbus. You got to be in China. See, everything's fair. Um, yeah, this one. I, I'd forgotten. They were up 10 points in the first half. It's a lot like the Utah game, actually. They were up by like nine or 10 in the first half and then like lost it in a blur. NC State went on a 30 to nine run, spanning the two halves. Um, they would have played Kansas in the Sweet 16, I believe. I think it was Kansas, yeah. Um, this is the Kansas team they played really close in Maui earlier in the year. It was the Kansas team that lost in the national title game. I really would have loved to see that one. I would have just, I, I, I have less confidence the 2013 team could have gone on a run, but 2012, like even against Kansas, I just give them a shot. Why not? So yeah. with five minutes left in the first half, Georgetown's win probability was 89%. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I think what you guys both talked about in different ways is probably the bit, the biggest criticism of the Princeton, which Otto Porter somehow is the guy taking that shot where it's got to be Hollis Thompson, right? Like you have to run a play for Hollis, right? Like it's not this. And I, I love the Princeton, right? JT3 apologist. I'm like one of the leading members of that club. But you Hollis has to take that shot. You know, it's not the best shot is the open shot, all that stuff. It's no, like Hollis Thompson has to take this. And I think it, I think it kind of kind of comes down to that. I do think though, from being there after being at some of the other losses, you know, like in ten and eleven, it was pretty cool just to be in Columbus and you win. I believe it was Friday Sunday games, John. I believe so. It's it's just it's kind of cool to be there, right? And you win, and you've got you know you've got Saturday, like everything's going great still. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can you guys can call me a nerd. But that's definitely a, that's definitely a thing. Yes, and absolutely. I remember that's walking to Columbus. You know, the Arena District, kind of cool. I enjoyed myself. Just thinking, like, yeah, you know what? And I don't, I don't know if either of you remember this, but this was the second time in three tournaments where Georgetown was matched up with San Diego State, and neither matchup happened. And I wasn't sure who I wanted Georgetown to play: NC State or San Diego State. But uh, it happened with Kansas too. I feel like Georgetown, Kansas kept getting well. Yeah, it was part. It was part of, part of this one. Yeah, where Georgetown, Kansas kept being on a collision course, and it just never happened. Three or four it's times. San Diego State I mean, when we, when we lost too. to Davidson. Right. I think they were in the bracket for Ohio too. They were. Yeah. Yeah. Um. 
I feel like we've talked about the Syracuse loss. Um, I feel yeah. like I feel like that's not that sad because that was still in a moment where you're sort of trying to figure out what this new coaching and this new style is like. And they hadn't won in Syracuse for a while. And the fact that they went up there in a game that wasn't televised, at least locally, which is crazy to think about now, that loss would have been, I feel like, extra bonus if you win it. But I think losing it wasn't the end of the world. And we also we talked about this before, but I mean, you're absolutely right. The one thing I remember from this game is that it wasn't on TV. And and I wonder, is it just psychologically, is it it's harder to feel bad about a loss that you just listen to on the radio? <laughs> I think I, on the Hoya Talk I, Board, I feel like at the time everyone was saying it was going to be at Summers. And I actually went there and they couldn't get it. It was like, oh, you know, they can get Greek soccer like on Sunday morning. They can definitely get it. And, you know, they punched in the coordinates for however the satellites work and just came up empty. And then I just listened to Shabotkin as I was driving home. God, like R.I.P. Summers. Dude, that place is gone now, isn't it? It's gone. Yeah, I've been there a few times. And I know so, we don't have much time, but just uh, just one one other little snippet since this was Hollis Thompson's last game as a Hoya. I, my probably my all time favorite uh, casual Hoya headline was um, Osama bin Laden is dead, but will Hollis Thompson declare for the NBA draft? <laughs> I was I was trying to coax it out of him. I was trying to. It just <laughs> didn't work. Um, let's give this next sadness game just maybe a couple minutes, and then we'll yeah. we'll end on a very high note in the madness bracket. So we have a three yeah. eleven matchup, and I think I'm going upset here, although it's going against some principles. So Georgetown loses to Syracuse in the semis of the Big East tournament, fifty eight fifty seven, in a game where they were up by fifteen at the half. Syracuse wins late. Devendorf. Uh, the 11th seed, though, is Georgetown falling to DePaul in March of 2019. And the score, it's hard to believe. It's not a very nice score, I'll say that. 101 to 69 in a game that doesn't seem real. So my favorite casual Hoya headline is Ask Wednesday because I convinced Andrew to put that up after this yeah. game. So <laughs> that's um, a place in my heart. Wouldn't have voted for it, but still. I know it's a 3-11 matchup, and I know... I mean, I'm breaking a big rule because this see, but this was Friday at the garden. So, you know, we already got there losing a biggest tournament game, obviously way bigger of a deal than losing to DePaul. But I think it was just the way that that DePaul game happened that you just couldn't like Max Struess. I think had, it seemed like he wouldn't stop scoring. It just seemed like it wasn't possible that what, what was going on was going on. Yeah. We're down 23 at the half. There's a there's a whole story to be written about 2018-19 Hoyas and how they could not handle any kind of success whatsoever. Every time they would have a remotely good win or like an emotional win, they would immediately crap the bed in the next game in like spectacular fashion. This is sort of the, the high point of it. I think you'd argue the most emotional win of that year was the double overtime win over Seton Hall. Um, you may the remember Quincy game. As, yes, you may remember such activities as floor slapping. Um, yeah. And then immediately went out and lost by 32 at DePaul. So perfect, so perfect. But what, um, what did they what and, did they do in their next game? Uh, well, they actually went on the road and yeah. uh, beat Marquette. Yeah. Um, and, and then, um, true to their form, I bet you can't guess what happened in the game after that. Oh, I can I, I can tell you because I was sitting in a great seat. Ah, yeah. uh, yes. Do we want to? Do we want to go and do we want to just all say Syracuse or am I going to, 
Am I going to no, go two no, one? No, no, Syracuse. Syracuse has to be the one. I, you know, <sighs> I was really. I'm actually kind of trying to. Uh, the NC State game, I think, is one of the most like truly sad I've been after a game. But I'm trying to come up with a word for the emotion after the Syracuse game because it's hard to be too sad because ultimately, like, you know, that game really cost us a whole lot. Other than like, it would have been really cool to see a a Big East final, even though we got there the next year. But man, like, it could have been three uh, straight Big East finals. No, three straight Georgetown Pitt finals. They may have just folded the conference at that point. Um, yeah. This one, oh, I, I, what I did not know until I went back and looked at the line of this game, um, the, the end of the game, the last 13 seconds after Syracuse scored, was the only time we trailed. Yep. It was tied at and zero. Uh, it was tied once, like for one possession in the second half, and that was the only time we trailed. Yeah, well, when you score less than 60, you leave yourself open for things like this. So, it really wasn't that unusual. Like, that kind of game should have been I know. a wheelhouse. I mean, um, okay. Yeah. I think I, I'll just say this is um, that's a Paul loss. You kind of have to fault the selection committee there because that's not an 11 seed. I mean, that, that deserves to be, that probably deserves to be something like a five or a six seed, I think. That truly was an atrocious loss. It was a, you know, it was a, we were arguably a bubble team coming off a big win. Uh, we had never lost to, we rarely lost to Paul, but even when we did, we never got blown out like that. And we just got absolutely, I mean, we gave up 101 points to DePaul, 30 points to Max Drews. We were never in this game. We looked listless. It was embarrassing. And it, and it effectively ended our season, even though we, we won at Marquette in the very next contest, but it has, this one has to go to Syracuse. So you can't, our biggest rival up by 15 at the half, basically never trailed until the end for a chance. And they to go could to have, the they, I, yeah. I, you know, based on if everything stays the same, they, they, they would have been the three seed in the biggest tournament. I think there was okay. like a, a tie for third place and Georgia ended up in sixth, but let's go on. We're running out of time. Yeah. Good stuff. The madness. This is the 2008 versus 2008. So it's the 3-6. We got Georgetown beating Connecticut 72-69, the Hibbert three-pointer. And Georgetown, oh, another game below 60 points. Georgetown 58, <laughs> West Virginia 57. This is the Jesse Sapp three. I can't believe he took it. He switched it, top of the key. And then Patrick Ewing Jr. with a block, not a goaltend, as the West Virginia fans thought it was at the time. Um, this is kind of, you know, this is that season. These games were everywhere. This was all over. And it's fitting that only one 2008 game can go forward here. I was going to do a new category for this podcast for every game called Was John Cal Involved? Um, in the case of the West Virginia game, no, but Ed Hightower was. In the case of the Connecticut game, yes. Um, so there's actually there's a, there's a referee story about the West Virginia game. Um, I was talking to, I feel like this happened in Syracuse, but maybe it was later that year or it was the following season because I was in Syracuse both years. I was talking to Evan Shavakin, uh, Rich's son, who had talked to Ed Corbett, the, uh, the former Big East official, who was working that game. He was under the basket for the last play. So the goaltending call wasn't his to make. It was Hightower's to make. But Evan asked Ed Corbett the next time he saw him, like, hey, what did you think of that goaltending call in the West Virginia game? And, and Ed Corbett said, I've watched that call something like 10 or 15 times now, and I still have no idea. It was that close. Well, it was a big deal because obviously Georgetown wins both of these games. 
Georgetown ends up winning the Big East and getting the one seed by a game. So if they drop mm-hmm. any of these games, okay, they end up at 14 and four. And particularly if they had lost to Connecticut, you would have had Georgetown, Louisville, Notre Dame, and Connecticut all 14 and four. I did not figure out what the tiebreakers were, but that's just how close the conference was this year. And to put it in perspective, so that, that Connecticut team lost in the first round of San Diego State in overtime. That was a 4-13 matchup, I believe. Oh, man, that rage. That was that crazy one in Tampa, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And don't, West don't Virginia. Those four games are nuts. West Virginia went through to the Sweet 16. They beat Arizona. They beat Duke. And then they lost in overtime to future Big East member Xavier. And as we know, Georgetown ended up losing to Davidson in the second round. So, you know, that was a pretty good year in the Big East. All these teams were were well represented in the NCAA tournament. So these are both two really, they're both two pretty big games. I feel like from being at both of them, I kind of want to go West Virginia just because winning on the road is pretty damn cool. And the fact that the Hibberts, Roy's parents were on the bus trip. This was a Hoya Hoop Club bus trip game. Yes. They were on the bus trip. And we kind of just like all skedaddled. Like it was like, you know, um, all the state troopers were on the court. The people were throwing stuff. It was like, we got to get out of here. It's, it's uh, I, I was, I was on the bus trip too. That is the most hostile. I think we've said this before. It's the most hostile road crowd I've ever been to. And that is absolutely 100% a compliment to West Virginia fans. Yeah. Um, and I was at the Syracuse team the following year where we had like projectiles thrown at us in the upper deck. So Good on you, West Virginia fans. I'm really looking forward to that game this year. Uh, Plus, it, it's legitimately it's, scary to be there. Well, like, that crowd it's also intense. scary when the guy shoots the musket, right? Like that's like, a, I mean, <laughs> yeah, if, if you're, you're not, not expecting that, if you're not ready for that, like you're, you're you know, your heart's going to skip a beat. Yeah. I think um, so. This this game also violates some of the. There's only a couple like this where some of the seating principles were violated, but. Uh, tried our best not to include games from the same year uh, featured against one another or games involving the same teams. But this one, these two victories, as you guys said, are literally two weeks apart, 14 days separating these two. I, I, I hear you on getting the road win at West Virginia. It's tougher to win. And it was so, I mean, they were both so dramatic. I still think I would give the nod to the Hibbert three game because that that may be, with the exception of our win against Duke in 2000, with, with the exception of, sorry, with, with the exception of our win January 21st, 2006 against Duke, this is probably the loudest uh, our home arena has, has ever been after Hibbert hit that shot. I, I was going to ask the same question, actually, Howie, so I'm glad you brought it up. I was trying to think of, and I'm just narrowing it down to just the reaction to Roy's three. What are some of the other loudest crowd reactions I can remember over the 20 years I've been going to games there? I've mentioned one of the other ones on the podcast before. There's a play in the 2007 pit game um, that's really up there. A lot of times in the 06 Duke game, um, if anybody was around in 2001 for the Georgetown Syracuse game, there's a, a Demetrius Hunter has a breakaway dunk at the beginning of the game. It's, Probably my pick for the loudest I've ever heard it, but I may have different colored glasses, that being my first year. Um, Greg Monroe has an alley-oop dunk in the UConn game in 2010. But yeah, this one was such a a, a wonderful unicorn. I know he hit three different threes in his career. He ended his career three for three from from downtown. But 
it was such a strange unicorn like to see come out in the middle of you know, the end of a game that there's a sort of like weird like crowd reaction of like being incredulous it was happening and i sit i sit on the op i sat at the time at the opposite side of the court and i was kind of looking dead down the line between roy and the basket and the moment it left his hand i'm like shoot this is going in <laughs> like it was good the, the moment it left his hand. it was amazing there were there were two <laughs> other m- moments like i think when we beat Syracuse in 2013, 61-39, I think that that but that game was like just a constant yeah, point. like you know thump, like rumble. I don't know if there was a singular moment, but when Dewan Summers hit that baseline three against Louisville to basically clinch the mm. Big East regular season title for us, that was another huge moment. Yeah. So this is a couple of interesting things about the uh, the Georgetown UConn game. This one is YouTubeable because uh, UC- Husky Games has it up there. Um, Jim Calhoun was sick, so George Blaney coached it. Um, so Calhoun was back in the locker room. And it was the game where, weirdly, like, J- John Thompson Jr. was sitting in the luxury box, like, in the dark. And ESPN kept cutting to him, just kind of sitting there in the shadows yeah. throughout the end of the game. It was very, a very strange, like, juxtaposition. 20,000 people up, for a January game seems like a lot, right? What's that? 20,035 is the attendance for a game in January. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, Pete Georgetown's imperial period after the, uh, you know, the final four run, probably the first, looking at the home games that year, probably the first marquee home game and non-con schedule wasn't anything special that year. So it's probably the first big weekend game people had. So not surprising. One more point about the Princeton offense. We talked about it in the context of the NC State game. The play that produced that shot was a normal Princeton set. We called timeout yeah, with you yeah. know, one possession to go. We were just running the normal offense. Like that's just a, a place in the court where the center would get the ball. And like Greg Monroe would take that shot fairly often. Henry Sims by his senior year would take some threes from out there. By like the Bradley Hayes era, we were like screaming at the television when he got the ball out there. But, you know, it, people always say, you know, Hashim Thabit was like kind of backing up into the, the paint and wasn't willing to challenge. The previous a touch that Hibbert got a few seconds earlier is the beat was out there and he just kind of backed away and there was this weird subtle I think it was J-Wall maybe that ran in front of the beat so he couldn't get back out there and he kind of backed away out of necessity but it's one of those like subtle things that just worked out and made the play happen um but yeah, yeah. Like, it, that's just that's a place where Hibbert would get the ball and that offensive set and he just decided oh screw it let's do this You know, and in, in, John Wallace was one for seven that game from three. Yeah. So, you know, you still want him shooting that shot, but Roy made it and it went in. Um, speaking of success, I think this was another successful podcast. And I want to give everyone a pat on the back for making it in our new time constraints. Maybe that'll <laughs> change. Maybe it won't. Um, but Howie and John, this has been great to be back with you guys. And I know the brackets are going to keep going. And we're going to be back next week. That's the goal, unless something crazy happens. And we'll be back before. But uh want to thank everyone for listening to Kente Corner, Howie Wachtel, John Hawks, I'm Bobby Bancroft. We're out of here. Hey, who says Georgetown can't run an up-tempo offense? <laughs>